Gentlemen, I want to welcome you to a brand new episode of SCAR. And SCAR stands for Seeking Courage and Redemption with Dustin Rivenbark. Now, you may be listening and thinking, okay, Dustin, what what is this all about? And here's the truth, guys. We all have stuff. We all have hardships. We all have issues. We have things that can accumulate in our lives, and if we allow it to, it can even change the trajectory of our lives. And that being said, that is exactly why you need to be listening to SCAR, because this is a safe platform where we can all come together and we can share our wins, losses, victory, and wisdom in order to find God's plan and purpose for our lives. So... Without further ado, I want to introduce you to a new friend of mine, Miss Julie Sanford. Welcome her to the show. Miss Julie, please say hello. Hello. How are you? Thank you so much for having me today. I am doing great, and we are honored to have you. Julie, you reside in Austin, Texas. Now, right here in South Alabama, in the middle of summer in July, it's hot, it's muggy right now. We have a um, uh, rain clouds and thunderstorm. What does it look like in Austin today? It sounds about exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thing. We got muggy, overcast, uh, keeping the temperatures down, though, the clouds are, so I can't complain too much about that. All right, and so um, we were talking right before this show um, about a program that you're part of uh, called Wives of Alcoholics. Uh, Julie, you have um, quite a a testimony to share, and uh, I don't want to butcher it up, so could you tell the, um, the audience a little bit about yourself, a little bit about um, how and why you do what you do? Yes, absolutely. So, as you said, I'm Julie, and I am married. I have three kids. I have two grown daughters and a little boy who's nine, so kind of started all over with him, but it's super fun to have a kiddo in the household again. Um, as it relates to what we'll be talking about today, I'm also the wife of an alcoholic. My husband, um, we had always just kind of drank socially, you know, as most people do, uh, but he lost his dad a few years back, and uh, things got a lot worse at that point. Um, he got really deep in addiction. It ended up affecting our lives dramatically. Um, we walked that path together for a couple of years. It was the hardest thing either one of us has ever been through. Um, throughout that time, he was also diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which we did not realize that he had. So that was another layer of difficulty in the situation. But um, I'm happy to report that through lots and lots of uh, difficulty and trauma that we went through. He has now been sober for four years. Yes. And our, yes, our marriage has been completely restored. And so now God just wants me to use my testimony to help other women who are where I once was and to give them hope that they can and will get through this. You know, um, Julie, first off, my heart goes out to you and your family for um, just all that that you've had to endure, but also I I just want to praise you and your family for the ability to stick through that and um, the way that that I kind of hear you honor your husband's triumph uh, and victory over the addiction and all of that. um, I'm not hearing one of, of hate, but one of love and wanting to honor and 
help those who are also struggling uh, in the midst of this addiction or the spouse or the surrounding family of someone who's struggling in addiction. Tell me a little bit how addiction mixed with bipolar, um, how does this affect one's family? I know dynamics are different. So let's say this. How did it affect your family personally, Julie? So he had told me throughout, you know, the time when he was struggling so so terribly with alcoholism. He he kept saying one phrase over and over that really stuck stuck with me. He kept saying something else is wrong. Something else is going wrong. Like something else in my head isn't right. And and we didn't know what that was, but he told me he said, you know, the drinking is the way that I'm self-medicating whatever that is because I can't live in my head the way that it is, you know, without alcohol. And um, he didn't actually get diagnosed with bipolar disorder until he went to treatment. So he was, you know, a couple years into a pretty deep addiction at that point. But once that happened, it was just really a light bulb. And, you know, we, we realized that that's what the underlying thing was that he always said was going on. And apparently, uh, you know, traumatic situations in your life, such, such as, you know, losing your dad, can really kind of, um, you know, spur that into, it, it, he had it before but it, it kind of got worse because yeah. of that the specific event in his life. Yeah, and and so for you and your children having to sit back and and basically wonder what's going on with with their dad, and you wonder what's what's going on with with your husband. Um, what what was your relationship with your children like during this time versus um, his relationship with the family? Were you guys all still close? Was it a functioning addiction or was this just uh, out of control? What did that look like during that time period? To be honest, nothing in our household was functioning like yeah. it should have been. Um, we were broken, all of us. We were. We had fallen apart. We didn't know. I mean, I didn't know if any of us were going to make it from day to day. He tried to take his life twice through this ordeal. Um, you know, my kids were, I still have one daughter living at home, and obviously my little boy was here. And, you know, we all just suffered, and it, it was hard because my husband, who is a amazing person he just you know fell, fell victim to addiction he had a lot of guilt and shame around what was happening to the family but you know as it is with addiction it's not something you can just turn off and I I learned so much about what was going on with him and how deeply rooted you know everything that he was dealing with was when we went to treatment or when he went to treatment and I was part of that with him and it really just gave me a whole different outlook on you know how he was suffering too and he was he was sick and he needed help and and now that's kind of part of what I try to teach the wives who are going through it now is you know yes it's difficult and you know I always I always preface this by saying if you're in a dangerous or abusive situation then it's a whole different ball game I was not it was just you know the addiction was affecting our lives but you um you know you you have to really as hard as it is sometimes try to see it from their point of view, really try to learn what they're going through because I didn't do a very good job of that and I feel like it made our situation 10 times worse. Did you find yourself um, reacting in anger um, often to the situation or did you respond with with love? What was your what was your way of, of responding during those very difficult moments? 
So because I didn't really have an understanding of what he was going through and because I didn't really have an understanding that I needed help as well, which I was completely resistant to. And when I when I heard that notion, I remember being thinking it was completely ridiculous because I wasn't the one with the problem, right? Like right. He's the problem. And so, you know, I just, I, I really just, you know, turned a deaf ear to that and thought that that wasn't something that I needed. And now, of course, I know that was absolutely not the case, but because I wasn't getting help for myself on how to deal with things appropriately, I did have a lot of anger yeah. and there was lots of fighting and lots of, you know, ugliness in the household. And so that's another one of the things that I try to, to help my ladies with now is to just, um, you know, get the help that they need so that they can, I mean, it's not going to be an easy situation regardless it's not but there are definitely ways that you can you know different things that you can do to make it easier uh, on yourself on your kids etc yes and 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 backing up just a little bit how did you explain the sickness or what was going on um, with your husband uh, to your children how did you explain that so my daughter was grown um, at the time and so she I would talk to her about it and just basically tell her what he was telling me that there was something else going on. And that I told her, you know, we're trying to figure out what that is. Like I, I'm trying to, to hang in there and stick with him because obviously he is, is desperate for help and he's, he's desperate to fix whatever that is. So she had that understanding, you know, it still, it still was very difficult. Um, with my son, he was pretty little. He was like about three through five years old, I believe. And I would just try to, uh, you know, kind of mitigate the damage as much as necessary from keeping him, you know, away from the situation. Now I wasn't always that good at it. There was a lot of times when, you know, I would give in to being angry and things like that. And he, you know, he heard some fights that I wish he hadn't heard and been subjected to some things that I wish he hadn't been subjected to. But, um, you know, it's hard when you're in that in that particular situation. He did finally end up uh, being told after uh, my husband went to treatment, we learned there how to best explain it to him. And so we just told him that, you know, daddy, daddy can't drink because he doesn't, his body doesn't like alcohol. You know, it's kind of like an allergy. It doesn't react properly to it. And so it's something that he just has to stay away from. And he he and his in his limited understanding of life in general seemed seemed happy with that explanation. Sure, at at those ages, it can be it can be hard, and there are reasons I'm trying to tap into some of this because some of our listeners uh, may be finding themselves in the same boat. Some of our listeners, Bobby, might be navigating something very similar, or Julie, they may be close to someone who is navigating something very similar. And so, what I want people to understand is that when when somebody is suffering from addiction, um, it doesn't just affect that person. There are many factors. There are many things. There are many barriers. Um, uh, there There is so much going on around, even in the workplace. Uh, that can that can be affected and and so it doesn't just start and end with the uh, addict this is a family issue and um, yeah and and you can uh, vouch for that a hundred and twenty percent with with your children and all of that how did they respond to the uh, uh, to the suicide attempts were there were there any did, did they know about that what does that look like my son did not okay. know that, that um, because, you know, he, he was too little to really. Yes. That, 
that felt really heavy to put on him uh, being as young as he was. Um, my daughter, of course, did know, and my daughter that you know lives outside of our home did know as well. And it, we just all felt this mixture of um, sadness and just desperation because it was like, what do we do? Like, we, what do we do? Like, we can't lose this man. I mean, we all love him dearly. And, you know, aside from the addiction, like I said, he's a beautiful person, a great father, a loving husband. You know, he's, he's funny. You know, people describe him as being laid back and he's, he's got a gentle soul. And just, we were, we were just so at a loss of what to do for him because we knew that he felt so desperate, but we felt desperate too because we didn't know how to help. So that was, it was very, as you can imagine, incredibly difficult. Yeah. And I can also, I can hear it. I can, I can feel it. I can feel the admiration that you had for the person, you know, who he is. Like you knew, you knew deep down who he was like like this is not what he he wanted there was something happening and 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 so in the midst of all that all right you went on to to basically become part of this program uh wives of alcoholics tell me about that transition at what what when his recovery took place and when you decided hey people need uh, to know about this. So I, um, as I was telling you a little bit before, I was not really a willing participant in (laughs) this pursuit at first. Um, it was something that I knew that the Lord wanted me to share, but clearly it's not a happy subject and it's not, you know, it's not fun to talk about all the time. It's not fun to go back through things that we went through, but I, very strongly feel now after him basically not just tapping me on the shoulder but like I feel like banging me on the head and saying listen I you know you didn't you didn't go through all that for nothing you don't have this amazing story of hope and restoration for nothing um there was one thing that I felt like he really he told me and he said you need to be the person that you needed back then for other people Mm, that's good that's good I couldn't find that person. You know, I, I looked everywhere for that person. And there was Al-Anon and there was things like that. But I was looking for somebody that I could relate to and somebody that was, you know, a woman of faith, which was really important to me. I really needed that type of guidance. Um, and, you know, somebody who I could I could really feel like got it because they had been there. And so I, I couldn't find that person. And so he was very clear with me that I'm now to be that person. And so I did start, um, it's technically called Married to Addiction, uh, is my, my platform. And I started that by just writing a devotional ebook. And it has since uh, morphed into, I have an online course that I offer now. And I also just started a membership uh, for Wives of Alcoholics that I call the Secret Sister Circle. And that name became, became or came out of the fact that a lot of us hide when we're going through this. Um, I did myself as well. My family didn't know the gravity of the situation. They knew that something was up, but I did not share with them how bad things were. Same with my friends. Um, There's guilt, there's shame, there's, you know, stigma, there's all these things. And so I know that there's so many women out there who are going through this and they're not raising their hands. They just feel like they're going to handle it and they're going to manage it and, you know, they they can do it on their own and they're going to get through it. And unfortunately, unless you know, there's action taken, 
in one way or another, whether it's, you know, the person who's addicted getting help or the person who is in the situation getting help, like things most likely are not just going to magically change unless there's movement in a direction of getting some sort of assistance and help with this. Julie, to the person who's sitting here listening to this that says, that's me, like, like, yes, that's, that's me. And, and I hear you about married to addiction. I hear you about the uh, secret sister circle. Um, but, but I don't know what to do, Julie. I don't know. I don't know my next step. I don't think my husband will be as open and receptive and responsive to uh, any kind of help or treatment or uh, any. Our relationship is is in shambles. What do you say to that person listening right now? What should be what should be my next step if I recognize this as something I would need to be a part of? So there are some women in my in my membership group who are in that situation where their husband is not ready to get help. And in some cases, they don't even, you know, they're not even to the point where they recognize that they need help. And this is, this is not for them. This is for you. This is for the wife of an alcoholic. Um, some women are sharing with their husbands that they're in this membership. Some aren't, you know, they're, they're doing this on their own for their, for their own healing and their own restoration. And, you know, my, my program is obviously faith-based. So, you know, we go through building up your relationship with God, which a lot of times is incredibly, uh, taxed when you go through something like this. Like I had that happen as well. You know, I, I got mad at God for a long time. I didn't understand why as a person who accepted Jesus when I was nine years old, why my family was being subjected to this, why I was having to go through this. And so I went through a lot of those spiritual difficulties too. So we work on that also. So I would say, you know, whether, whether you get help with me or whether you get help with somebody else, you know, through Al-Anon or any of those other avenues, just get some help for yourself. Um, of course, I would love to be the one to do that. And, you know, I do have the Married to Addiction platform. I have a podcast as well. Uh, you know, if they're just kind of wanting to get an idea of, you know, who I am, what I'm about, the kind of things that I talk about, it's also called married to addiction. So that might be a good first starting place, but just, just kind of, even if you feel a little hesitant, like I did that you don't necessarily need help and you're not the one who has the problem. I understand how that feels and I was there, but I can tell you from being on the other side of it, you must get help for yourself. It's critical. Can I ask you, um, what would you say to the person, looking back, I know that you see some different areas where you could have done this better, could have done that better, even some areas where you said, hey, I did the best I could right here. This was, you know, uh, what would you say to um, a a struggling uh, wife, a mom, and all of that about... um, how they how they respond to their children during this time uh are there are there any things that um you know that 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 we should be looking out for uh that we could that we could tell our kids what worked um during those moments um I, i don't know does that does that make sense julie yeah i think the biggest thing when you have kids in the house is there just needs to be some boundaries for them um you know, and again, I didn't do all of this perfectly right when I was in this situation, but now being on the other side of it, you know, like you said, I absolutely can see that I really should have done a better job with A, B, and C, so that's why I'm teaching it now, because I don't want people to, to, you know, come on the other side and say, man, I, I really 
right there. But with kids, I just think that, you know, I mean, obviously, like I said, if there's any sort of danger or whatever in the household, you just have to get everybody safe first and foremost. But as far as trying to just uh, mitigate the damage as, you know, being in the household with an alcoholic, a lot of times you can just make sure that you have good boundaries around that. Like I remember my son when he was really, you know, he was really little at the time and he would try to talk to daddy and daddy was obviously inebriated. And so he was acting funny and my son would be kind of confused and not, you know, kind of a little bit fearful, I think, because that wasn't like normal daddy. Um, So I did as often as I felt like I was able to at the time, I tried to separate them. So I would either ask my, my husband to come upstairs and, you know, go to bed and sleep it off or whatever or you know we would come upstairs and play a game or something um you can also turn it into family time you know if you are wanting to get your children out of the environment it's a great you know time to just scoop them up and you know of course you want to be careful how you're how you're um, framing it you don't want to say oh my gosh your dad's drunk again we have to leave you know but you can say hey guys let's let's go grab some dinner let's go see a movie let's go do whatever and then that kind of gets them out of that out of that environment to where they're not really focused on the, the drunkenness that's happening in the house at that point. And that's also a really good tool for wives to use if you feel yourself getting ready to explode. Yeah. <laughs> which is very often, you know, if you just really want to pick that fight right now, which I never recommend, especially if your husband is drunk because there's no reasoning with a drunk person. Sure. But that can to be a good a good tool for her too, you know, just scoop them up, go do something fun, get your mind, get everybody's mind off of it, and um, also avoid a fight in the process sometimes. How can I forgive myself if if I'm a, a, a woman, a mother, a wife, uh, in the midst of all of this, and and maybe my actions, maybe my anger, maybe my frustration, uh, maybe something I did has played a role in what is happening, or I feel has played a role in in all of this turn of events, how can I forgive myself enough and find God in the midst of all of this and begin to try to turn the tide, uh, at least in my mind first, in my in my family? How can I, how can I take those steps? What does that look like to even begin that journey of freedom? The biggest mistake. And I hate to say mistake because I try not to live with regrets. God forgives us and we're supposed to forgive ourselves. You know, as far as he's concerned, it's as far from the east as to, from the west. So I try not to say mistakes, regrets, things like that. But if I could go back and do it differently, you know, like I said, I did have a lot of anger where it was concerned with my relationship with the Lord. And it, the turning point in our situation came um, I, I remember one particular instance forever. I was so tapped out maxed out at the end of my rope. I'd been um, covered in what I now know was stress-induced hives because of this situation. I'd been covered in hives for like months on end, on and off. You know, my husband had tried to take his life. My family was falling apart. It was just, I had nothing left. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what, where else to turn. I didn't, I just felt like, well, this is it. You know, it's, it's just falling apart and there's nothing I can do. And I remember standing in the shower one day and I had just the water as hot as I could stand it, just pouring down on me. And I just yelled out to God. It wasn't like crying out to God like you hear in the Bible. It was like screaming at him out of desperation. And I was just saying, help us, help us. And I was like crying and screaming. And it was shortly after that where my husband agreed to go to treatment. And I feel like it kind of was as soon as I got to the end of myself, 
And as soon as I felt, felt like I had nothing left and I called on him, I was probably in his way. Wow. You know, I, I was trying to run around and control everything and fix things and, you know, do whatever, whatever I could do. And he was probably like, you know, I'm trying to work over here. <laughs> I'm trying to work in his heart. I'm trying to work in his mind. And you keep getting in the way. You know, your voice is louder than in his ear than my voice is. And so I just really feel like I know that it feels, he feels so far away when you're in that position, but he is as close as one prayer, as close as one prayer. And as soon as you reach out and you let go and let God, as they say, and you really try to embrace that frame of mind, things will, will begin to change. Now, will it necessarily make your husband go to rehab? You know, right away, I don't know, maybe not, but I can tell you that the peace that you get from that, when God starts moving in that situation and when you're calling on him and you're leaning on him and resting in him, regardless of what's going on around you, is worth it no matter what your husband is doing. You know, I love that visual you gave of, uh, I could I could almost picture uh, w- when you said you're, you're basically in God's way and your voice is louder than his in your husband's ear. I can I, I just get this picture of like uh, uh, a nagging wife or a screamer or something, you know, yelling at constantly on someone's back. And I think it's so easy to lose yourself in a relationship when you want so badly something for someone and they're refusing that help. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, and you feel desperate, you know, and you don't even, when you're in that, you don't even think about the fact that this isn't my burden. My husband's addiction is between him and God. Like that never crossed my mind. Yeah. I would, I always thought this is between me and him, you know, he needs to get sober because he's hurting the family, you know, me, 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 Yeah. <laughs> as it does, like not, not trying to even call on God or, or, you know, even trying to ask him to work in his life. Now I did on occasion, you know, I would pray for him, but it wasn't like a really, it wasn't until I really got to that point where I just felt like there was nothing else that I could do. And then God was like, okay, great. Now I can, now I can work, you know? Julie, why are so many wives basically hiding in secret? Why? Why? Because there is a lot of stigma around this, and I had some of that myself before I went through this. You know, I I was one of those who kind of thought, well, alcoholism only happens in quote-unquote bad families, like not in Christian families. And it's for homeless people, and it's for, you know, people who don't have good marriages to start with, and all of these terrible, awful things that just are not true. Like, we had an amazing relationship, and I remember people even saying that when we went to treatment, and they had family week where we came Uh, the families came for a week to go through a lot of the classes and stuff with their loved ones. And I remember people saying to us, you know, we can tell you guys have like a really solid relationship. You know, this is just the alcohol is the only issue. And we were like, yes, that's pretty much it. Like we've just got this, you know, this evil that's inserted itself in our, in our family and in our relationship. And, and it really was happening to a good, normal, you know, otherwise happy family. And I think that people hide because of that of stigma they think that people are gonna you know think badly of them think badly like I didn't want people to think my husband was a terrible person because he's not he was just suffering with this and so I think that that's a big part of it but because of that they're not getting the help that they need and they're not getting the support that I mean it's so so important to have that support and that's why I'm trying to do what I'm 
trying to do to get them out of the darkness and, you know, pull them, pull them over to the side where they can find hope and strength and support for themselves. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you called it for what it is. You called that addiction evil. And, and it's just, you, you know, <clears throat> I think a lot of times, you, you know, um, you know, people can have a monkey on their back so big and still love something that they can't shake on their own and still love Jesus in the process. But there's just something that won't let them go. It's like a it's it's an evil. It's 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 demonic. And, and it's something that is plaguing, plaguing our society. Everything at the touch of a button. Um, all of this stuff just speeds up. Um, this, this thing inside that, that when we don't fill it with the right things, um, I, I think it's quickly a, a void in our soul, a void in our spirit that we are turning to something that, that is taking over us in a, in a, in a different way. I, I'm trying to, I'm looking for a way to describe uh, this addiction outside of something scientific. It is something very, um, very wicked that happens. That's like this, rather than, rather than relying um, on God and, and, and allowing God to do immeasurably and abundantly more in and through our lives, we basically are searching uh, for something, whether it be in a bottle, whether it be in uh, whatever that only God can feel to begin with. Right. And the enemy only needs a little tiny open, right? He just needs a little tiny foothold, especially with addiction. And the enemy loves addiction. It not only destroys the person that, you know, is affected uh themselves most of the time but also the family the relationships the marriages the household like he can take down a lot of people through just getting one person addicted and it can happen so fast so he just needs the tiniest little foothold and then it just snowballs from there because it's such a slippery slope and so i think that he really i mean he just has a field day taking out families with this because it's just so insidious once it once it you know infiltrates your household it's really hard to get it out yeah and you you hit the nail on the head he can take out so many people with just one addiction and so um that's that's powerful in and of itself now back to the to the to the wife who is who is basically hiding in secret what what is what is the mental shift or the mental break that they need to make in order to um in order to understand that this is not just for the poor that this is not just for the the weak that that this is something that happens across the board and there is hope so the main thing is is just that that there is hope there is and I'm living proof that there is and of course again I can't tell anyone else how their situation is going to end up but I can tell them that they absolutely do not have to stay in the hopelessness and despair that they're in right now and the most important thing for that woman right now is to just realize that she does need to get some help and you know from the Lord from somebody else who's walked through it uh 
be open to that because I wasn't, you know, I used to hear things like you needed boundaries and you needed to do all this. And I was thinking, that's not the kind of help I need. I need to know how to fix him. I need you to tell me how to fix, how to get him sober. And the hard reality is we can't get our husbands sober. We can do other things that can, you know, create a different environment in our house and in our lives, but he is responsible for his sobriety. We just have to figure out in the meantime, how to manage our side of the street, as they say, how to do the best that we can with our lives and, and, you know, protecting our kids and things like that. And that's, that's her responsibility. And there is absolutely a better way and a better life, regardless of what your husband is doing. I I love that. And, and, you know, I, I, I agree a hundred percent. Now, um, if, if she's finding herself there and, and she's, She's really knowing that that she needs to make a shift. She needs to make a change. Um, something's got to change. How can how can she begin that process of self care? What does self care look like for someone who is in the midst of this horrific disease? It's funny you mentioned that because I just recorded a podcast episode about that recently. Mm. Self-care for the wife of an alcoholic looks very different. It's not pedicures and bubble baths. It's sometimes remembering to eat. Wow. Um, it's sometimes, you know, brushing your hair. <laughs> I remember sitting in the floor of my closet more times count, just trying, you know, with snot and tears, just flowing down my face, just trying to find the courage to go downstairs and be a mom, you know, until it was bedtime because I was struggling so much. So it really, for, for wives of an alcoholic, a lot of the time, it really just goes back to the basic fundamentals. Feed your body what it needs, because if you're trying to do this, it's hard enough on its own, but if you are nutritionally tapped out, it's near impossible to even cope with anything. Sleep, it's so hard, but you've got to find ways to get the sleep that you need. You know, just, just the the basic taking care of yourself because we're so busy trying to run interference, you know, with our husband's addiction and between him and the kids and still hold a job and keep the household, you know, together and serve meals and all of those things. Like we, we don't have anything left for ourselves and we usually just let ourselves completely fall apart. I most certainly did. So self-care for us is just the basic taking care of yourself because it's so important and it's the first thing that we let go out the window when we're dealing with something like this. I've got a I've got a weird question and it just popped up. Maybe uh, maybe it's the Holy Spirit, maybe it's spicy tacos. I don't know. So <laughs> where what is the difference in stepping back and allowing God to do what he's going to do and giving up? How do you what what is the sharp uh, uh, what is, what is a difference when, when somebody hears that and says, okay, maybe I'm in their ear too loud or, or, or whatever. I'm, I'm just going to give up. What is the difference in stepping back and giving up? So basically the way that I describe it, cause they, uh, Al-Anon specifically talks a lot about detaching and detaching with love. And that is an important thing for us to learn. But I remember hearing that and thinking, you want me to detach from him right now? Like, can you see what he's going through? Like that just seems downright cruel. What I didn't understand is I needed to detach from the addiction. I needed to detach from my obsession with the addiction. I need to give up my control over the addiction and trying to fix it. But I was not giving up on my husband as a person and I was not giving up on, you know, 
seeing seeing this through and hoping that he would that he would get better. And so I think that that's really where we need to lean lean into the Lord because he's going to fill that in between space. You know that the two we're filling with being having an addiction to his addiction basically. Um, that's where you got to take your hands off the wheel and let the Lord step into that space right there. Julie, there's so much wisdom in just this little part of the conversation that um, we could we could go on for hours about it because I think a lot of times we get frustrated and we start even using ultimatums. We start even becoming um, what's what's the word? Not not narcissist, but we 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 almost start becoming vindictive of of I, I'm gonna stop doing this for you I'm gonna stop doing that uh, uh, you're you're not allowed to to come here or all of these different things and you mentioned a good point of detaching from the addiction but not from the person okay can you dive into that just a little more yeah so I think that's where um, things like boundaries can really play an important role because you know when you like you said when you're giving ultimatums and things like that those are boundaries that you're trying to enforce on someone else which you can't you don't have control over what somebody else does but when you're when you're detaching from the addiction you're putting boundaries in place like I mentioned before you know if you've had too much to drink the the family is going to be separated from you know your person right now because it's healthier for us. So the boundaries are for you and they're they're to control what you're doing, not yes. to control what the other person is doing. And that was an important differentiation that I did not understand when I was going through this. You know, I thought that boundaries were ultimatums. <laughs> yeah. You know, I thought that was the same exact thing. And I and I thought they were to say, well, if you do this, then you can't do this or I'm not going to do this. And that's not that's not at all what it's for. So that's, you know, once, once you really learn what healthy boundaries look like and what their reason really is and what their purpose is, it's a lot easier then to create them and to put them in place when you need to. I'll tell you, um, this, is, this is speaking so much to um, several situations um, that, that I can think of personally that um, I, just, I just wish that um, everybody had um, this information. And so... Um, you mentioned something about uh, having a podcast as well. Can you give us um, just a little um, blurb about your podcast, about where we can find more information about you, um, how people could connect with you personally? Yes, of course. So I am basically just married to addiction on all platforms. That's my podcast name. That's my website. Um, that's my who I am on social media as well. And if, if you're just kind of wanting to, like I said, get to know who I am and what I'm about, in a nutshell, it's faith-based direction and support for the wife of an alcoholic. You know, it's I come from a Christian standpoint. That was That's my faith. That was my walk. Uh, that was a lot of what what ended up playing a huge part in the restoration of, you know, my husband, our marriage, everything. So I could not even 
to try to help somebody else without that being a big piece of it because that is that was that was my walk and that's my redemption story um but if you just kind of want some ideas of you know just to learn and maybe get your feet wet the podcast is a really good place to start but then i do you know have the the program and the membership if you know you know if you've heard yourself and a lot of what i've talked about today and you know that you do need to take that next step because you just feel like things are falling apart and you don't know what else to do I'm your girl. I would love to help you walk through that. I would love to help you navigate that. And I would love to help show you that you don't have to stay in the hopelessness that you're in right now. Great, Julie. Um, great information. Um, great podcast. Final question, just uh, <clears throat> out of curiosity, um, how does your husband feel about what you're doing and the role you've kind of taken on? And uh, uh, how are things now? So he is 100% behind it. I mean, I obviously had a conversation with him before I even, before I even dipped my toe in the water initially and wrote my devotional ebook. Um, we talked about it because obviously this is every bit as much his story, if not more so. And he, um, you know, he has a testimony of his own and I keep waiting for him to get out there <laughs> yeah. also, you know, because he has a great testimony of, of restoration and recovery, but, uh, you know, he, he just, I think, knows that there's such a, an important message here. And when I was really pushed at the beginning of the year to really go all in in this direction, I was actually the one who was a little bit more hesitant. And he was like, well, yes, of course, you should obviously be doing that. So he, he's definitely a big supporter of what I'm doing. And he's just doing amazing. We're going to celebrate our 13th anniversary in October. He's been sober for four years. And I just want you all to know if you can relate to any of this there is hope uh again i can't tell you how your story will turn out but i can tell you that mine has been better than i ever imagined that it would be so if you're in a really hopeless spot right now just know that there there is hope julie um thank you so much for being a part of scar um this is uh wonderful information and i do want to say if your husband ever decides to uh share his side of the story I would love to do a part two to this, and so um, to hear it uh, from uh, kind of kind of his side and what he went through. So uh, yeah. don't don't hesitate to reach out to us. Oh, of course not. I will definitely tell him. I'm still working on him a little bit. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, um, I'm I'm happy and 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 proud for um, what God has done in and through your. Uh, family and what he's doing through you with um, uh, the wives of alcoholics and ladies and gentlemen um, just please reach out to Julie Sanford if you feel that this is for you um, or just to give her feedback on the show so once again Julie um, thank you so much and yes (laughs) absolutely and if you'll hold on for just one second As for our listeners, I'll see you in the next couple of days.